Right, this is going to be another episode of Banter Give and Go. The fourth one, actually. Shout out Ric Flair. Woo. So obviously, me and Maui are back. Now, if people don't know, one, that's right, take a look around you. I'm not, that's not a Fred Durst shout out. Look, take a look around you. Obviously, the season hasn't started, has it? So we're still on the historical tip. We're still doing all our own interesting topics. And we thought for this one, we did some of this on some of the past episodes because it's just actually my style of analysis. It will always be a topic of, is someone overrated? Are they underrated? What do fans think of them? What do I think of them? So we thought we might actually just do a proper episode like this. So why not do an episode where we talk about overrated players? Now, we won't make it strict, like not like all just now or... The, in general, it depends where the episode goes. We can do some historical names. We can do some now. We can do some that are retired, whatever. Thought we'd just see where we're at on that one. So, Maui, first things first. Like, I mean, luckily you actually have an academic background, so you'll understand this. You know, one of the real secrets, I'll get, I'll, I'll pull back the veil as I always do. One of the real secrets as to why I, I do really interesting talk shows is because I actually understand how you write an academic essay about a topic where the first thing you do is you explain the premise of the question you are asking, why you are asking it, what the significance is, some of the terminology that you're going to use, and then you answer the question, which I know might blow people's minds because no one in fucking sports does it, bro. Like in sports, people will even say that stuff that I can't handle when they go, he's the undisputed best player. Oh, he's undisputed. Well, that case, you know what, mate? Wrap it up. Shut it down. Yeah, it's, we don't need to have a convo. I'm Over. off home. Fuck. It's like, give me a break. Like, let's have the convo. So, right. What is your sense for when you say someone's overrated? What are you thinking of when you say that? Yeah, so I'm, I'm assuming it's not this. just a literal raw number ranking or championship. But what are you going off when you, when you think about overrated? Yeah, I, I wrote down two things, actually, when I was considering this list, as that the first thing I think about is... Just kind of like my sense of the community perception, which is vague. That that that's oh sure. You get a temperature check if you're doing it. It's never going to be identical, of course. Yeah, and that that kind of comes from mostly social media stuff. Like I would say, Twitter is where I go to the most. Uh, okay. Also, also based off of like other media I consume, based off of like lists that I read, or based off so like written articles, for example, from other websites. Um, and then the like, I guess I guess Reddit also has a has a hand in like shaping what I think is rate rate how things are rated. But I would say that the second thing is also like with what's nice about traditional American sports is you can actually just look at how people are rated based off of how much they get paid. So I actually oh, think about true. salary yeah, earnings. Yeah. Good point. As, yes. <laughs> and so if I see somebody that it's like, oh man, that guy's on a max contract, like he's overrated. And that's for a lot of people. I think that they don't that they keep the distinction between overrated and overpaid. But I actually think that why are those not, th those to me just go hand in hand. Like, like th those should be, if you're, if you're paying, if the actual organization that's paying the guy's salary is paying him well beyond what I think it should be, that to me is very clearly overrated. So I'd say those are the two biggest factors. Um, yeah, what are, what are yours? What do you have for this? I mean, luckily, this is actually something I recently broke down if people watch my video about Fallen, because classically, I even made the video titled that. It was about the idea is the most overrated ever. And funnily enough, what you're talking about goes into it. Like, I actually didn't even use that factor that you just referenced about pay. But the joke is, if people actually knew, relative to how good he is at his actual role, Fallen probably the most overrated in terms of pay play of ever in history. People don't know. To this day, he's on a massive salary. He had like a 700k buyout in 2023. Like, that's, an, that's a good... I think that's a a pretty good factor bearing in mind like essentially payroll 
if people don't know, in the NBA, they have a salary cap and they have luxury tax, which means you can go over the salary tax as famously the Lakers always do. But if you do it, you pay out of the ass. So it's like, essentially, it's like you have to really be rich to do it. So actually, bear in mind, that actually determines how good the team is and how good the resource around the person are. That is a pretty key factor because if you think about it logically, Maui, if a player is a good player, this is the key thing, good, but overrated in the sense that you pay a max contract when he probably should be like, you know, say he should be making like 20 million a year, but you just give him the max deal then you're just not going to have enough good pieces to put around him, in which case it's going to set him up to actually fail if he indeed is overrated. So I think there's even almost like a literal knock-on effect beyond the just hypothetical of, you know, what the finances are and how do you chop it up and whether they're worth it and all that jazz. And by the way, sadly, I do think that is the worst thing about the salary cap system in American sports is it automatically means you can't avoid it. There will always be four or five. I've noticed that's roughly the number. There's about four or five players where just like supply and demand, the fact that there's only four or five of them means they all get max contracts where they should be like borderline, if you know what I mean. Like, I mean, people know the famous examples, but it's just because even if like the really good team wouldn't give you that deal, there's going to be some team that isn't good who's like, right, we'll just use our whole budget, get this guy, like get get a star in basically. So in that sense, there will always be overrated players in the NBA for my money. And then the other thing is, I also made this point in my fallen one. I think it's quite a shrewd point. So I want to get your take on it. Actually, everyone else thinks when I do this, I'm like being hysterical or something, right? Most people, as far as I can tell, Maui, use overrated in like the most literal sense. They want it to be like the 1,000th best player that some idiot thinks is the best. To them, that's the most overrated player. But as I made the point in my Fallen video, no one cares about who the 1,000th best player is. We don't spend one second of our day debating who that is. Like, why would that be more? So to me, I actually think this is a, a controversial take. To me, the most overrated person is the person as highly rated as possible, like legit-wise, but then who gets way overrated. Because yes. to me, me, the significance yes. is more the higher up you go. I mean, you you get the obvious example. When we have those GOAT debates in CSGO, right? I don't mind, for example, like I've done it recently on Hot Take. I think you should have people like Nico for real in the debate because he used the rifle. And, you know, there's a different angle on it all. But let's say someone came in that debate while we were talking, Maui, and took like Fallen, for example, like someone who once was a very good opera. If they just walked in as me and you were debating, like, who's the GOAT of CSGO? Is it simple? Is it Nico? Is it Zewu? If someone walks in and goes, Fallen, it's like... You're, you're literally shitting up the convo and you've now overrated him impossibly. Like, because yeah. you haven't even just made him good, mate. You've made him like a goat status. So to me, it, I, I, maybe it's more feeling, but I think actually really good players who get then overrated. It's why I said on a past episode, even though I know it hurts people's feelings, sadly, Adams Iverson is hella overrated. It doesn't matter how much I like him. Like, people have tried to make him like he is just Michael Jordan, but like six inches smaller or something. And he isn't. I'm sorry. I watched both of them play. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, with, I mean, we. I, if you want to even kick off the convo with with AI, like, do it, he yeah. probably is. He probably is just the most overrated of all time. That I mean, it's just that I, I think like one thing that I do when I value players, which is not necessarily like the holistic analysis of someone that's just looking what they do on the court. Is I always do think about cultural impact because I'm living through a lot of this stuff where it's like people what do people talk about on the streets you know like and the thing is that for a player like ai <laughs> i just moved into this sublet actually i have to get this for this episode once like literally one second one second this guy whose apartment i moved into has an alan oh god my freaking my headphones just blow, blew up is this alan iverson bobblehead as soon as i walked in and he just left it on the desk it's like this guy's cultural impact is crazy like he's actually like people 
people like I know so many people that don't even follow basketball that still like really hold this guy in such high regard because of his swagger, because of how he carried himself on and off the court. And I I will say like one thing about AI that makes it kind of kind of interesting is that to me he represents a lot of what I consider for when I look at kind of like my gut reaction overrated players in today's NBA. Like AI AI is overrated because because people hold him in such high regard and yet he didn't necessarily accomplish <laughs> anything. He did drag a Sixers team that had no business getting into the finals into the finals and he did it by like carrying such a huge load of the offensive weight on his shoulders of the the burden. And so it's kind of like the thing is, though, that that team had to be structured like that when he was on it. Like they tried they, they tried using AI later on as like a more off ball player. And it was it was OK. But actually, he's just he's just much he just seems to be much better when he was ball dominant. And so the people that the Sixers had to surround him with were kind of like because AI's contract so high, they had to get these like kind of just defensive minded players just to shore up to make sure that he can still play the type of ball he wants to play. And yet he's a complete liability on the other side of the floor. And I think that's another thing where overrated comes into play here. And it was kind of like my loose third thing is that players that just get a complete pass on one side of the floor because yes. it's a game. This yep. isn't this isn't the NFL where you can just say you're not going to play defense. It's that when you're on that side, you're scoring your scoring contributions are so great that maybe yes yes the plus minus can weigh in your favor if you are that transcendent on offense but also it's that if you if you are such a such a liability on defense team defense can get you so far but you need to even know how to play within the team defense that's structured around you which is why i think for example in some ways steph curry's defense is actually underrated because people are like oh but like so many people could get past him but it's like yes but he knows how to funnel people to the baseline or to where his bigs are to the better defenders on his team so and he's also very good at switching so that he can also stay within the team defense very well when you look at people like say james harden today or Kyrie, uh, they, they're not really great team defenders. And you could maybe, I don't I wouldn't even make an argument that e either of those guys are better than Steph in terms of one-on-one -on -one defense, which again, it gets overrated. It's a team sport. You need to know how to contribute on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I've got a few things on that. Like, first of all, I'll actually start with you, which were there, defense. Like, that's also a massive factor. Like, if you notice in every sport, I just am an enamored with two-way players. Even if actually it means that the player isn't overall as crazy, seemingly, like, they're of an insane offensive bag. Like, if, I mean, a player we didn't, I think, talk about on the past episodes I easily could have brought up is DeMar DeRozan. I think he's just a fucking mega player, mate. Like, what's not to like? like he's got, he's exactly my type of player. He's got exactly the game. But I, the, I agree, Alan Iverson is mad over because of his defense because one problem you're going to have is every single great guard or shooting guard that he's going to go against will absolutely cook him if they play him on the defensive end like he is six foot tall he is a six foot tall man and unfortunately because he's a scorer and somebody who likes to like run the floor the classic move that people like that do when they don't want to play real defense is they just gamble for steals all day long. Now, he was mega at getting steals as a result. He would have games where he'd have like four steals. But the problem with that is it's a gamble. And when you gamble like that, I've always thought it's actually, it's a bit overrated, that type of gambling. Because when you gamble and you miss, sometimes you just give a free basket, like a, a completely free one. They blow by you or you're not helping a defender behind you. And that That's actually, the, the reason why it's the ultimate move that like the young stars do is because when you get the steal, it looks awesome. The highlight's sick for 
for you. When you don't, you're not the man that gets beat, though. Remember, you're not going to be on the poster. You got you got, you got beaten on the perimeter. It's going to be the guy behind you who looks like an idiot who's just got, losing one-on-one against some, like, fucking Tracy McGrady or some stud player like that. Or even worse, it's just, some, it's just someone laying a basket up and you're not in shot, so you don't even get the blame for it. So I think for defence, he's mad overrated. Because, again, like we talked about on past episodes, it's like the concept of a plus-minus. Like, yes, he's putting plus at the other end, although he's quite an inefficient scorer, to be fair. But, yeah, he's putting baskets up at the other end. But he really is the ultimate player where, if you ever look at his games, here, he can score 40, but the other guy can score 30. That's just how a game is when Iverson plays. So it's actually not that great a style of basketball to play. And then a couple of other things. This is what's actually really contentious about Iverson, is a lot of people look at his career and they blame that guy who was the... Um, the GM of the Sixers, the guy who basically looks like Scoots with hair, if everyone remembers. That's his straight fire reference, if you know what I'm talking about. Like that Pat, whatever his name was, right? That guy, I actually think that guy is the opposite. He did a banging job because if you know how insanely selfish and shot hungry Alan Iverson is and the fact that he clearly does not want to play within an offensive system. If people don't know, if you haven't watched Alan Iverson's prime, he plays like Kyrie Irving does now where they clearly don't have a shot in mind. They're not like Kobe or someone like that where they go into like a spot and they're trying to like shoot from that spot. They're doing that thing where they just dribble around the whole paint and then they just wait till there's an opening and then go in and do a weird like spinning fucking layup off the glass, which is awesome on a, again on a YouTube clip. But how the fuck if you're his teammate he's supposed to know what he's doing and help him you know what I mean you're just standing there like I mean I hope it works and then so as a result if you actually look Maui who he made those rosters like you said they either recruited defensive players to help him all the offensive players are just guys who are like fucking six seven and their job is get the rebound yeah. Your job is just get the rebound. So, in a way, that's great GMing because you know what? It's Alan Ives. He's going to shoot loads. He's going to miss a fuck ton. There's going to be loads of rebounds. Just have like three guys at all times, like jump, like jump for the ball. Like, that's actually good GMing. The problem I think with Iverson basically is this is I actually think the team that exposed that he was never the player people thought he was, was when he got... You know, everyone forgets this even happened, dude. When I say it now, everyone's going to go, oh, yeah, that did happen. You know, when you ask people, how did Chauncey Billups end up on the Nuggets? Because they did that trade, remember? Iverson was traded for Billups, and Iverson went to the Pistons, and Chauncey Billups went to the Nuggets. And then you had that era when they went on the run to the conference finals with the Nuggets. What people forget is this. Dude, right at the end of that amazing Pistons team, Alan Iverson came in to be their shooting guard, right? This is where, if you're Alan Iverson, bro, this is your chance. This is like the ring right here. All you do is let those guys play the game. They're already amazing at. They're a mega team, if you remember. And then... What we're saying, because you're the shooting guard, is just don't be selfish, basically. Just take, like, you know, 15 shots a game, make, like, seven or eight or whatever, and then you can win a ring. And he couldn't fit in that team. And and something was off about it. And so the problem I've had, basically, is I do think because he came from, like, a playground-type mentality... This is not a guy who ever understood the team vision of basketball, in my opinion. He was, it, was, it was very much an individualistic player. Now, I will say, in some senses, this is the genius of the sport of American uh, basketball, the NBA specifically. Is if you look at the way the NBA is structured, it actually allows for and incentivizes players like this, Maui. Not, not only because, as I said, max contracts earlier, like you're going to give them it because they're a star. But the way the NBA works, if people don't understand is ideally, every single franchise should have one star player at least. Even if they're the worst franchise in the whole NBA, you want to have one star, potentially all-star player, so that people still go to the game. So actually, people like Iverson definitely are needed in the NBA. Like they are, they are a showstopper. They bring the fucking crowds out. But if you actually, if we're talking about really great players, there's a lot of areas this guy wouldn't match up in. I'm afraid. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a modern comparison that we could spin this to. Uh, I think he's been called out quite a bit more, and that would be Trey Young, where on the Hawks again, and if we kind of use the the multi-level, the ways of like breaking down how a player is overrated. Uh, well, first off, he's getting paid forty million a year. He's one of the highest, like twenty highest paid players in the league, and yet you would look at him and like you're saying, like there's. There's been kind of a discussion about this where it's like, is it better to have like three C-level stars or is it better to have like one S-tier star and then a bunch of like D-tier players around that? And I think the NBA has shown now that it's actually better to have just the one superstar that can carry you yep. pretty deep into these as opposed to just having a bunch of guys that are really good at their roles. You do need those stars. And the thing is that if you're using one of your max contracts on Trey Young, well, you're kind of running into a very similar position that the Sixers did with Iverson, where you have to surround him with such great team defenders who can pick up the slack when Trey Young really, he's a revolving door just like Iverson was. And yeah, yeah, Trey Young can be a little bit flashy. I think, I think he's, I, I wouldn't say he's actually even better at Iverson other than maybe like three point shooting, but just barely, I, I like he he is better. I would say he is better than him at it. But Iverson could do a lot more in terms of creation than Trey Young could. And so, to me, he's one of the most overrated in terms of. It's, it's kind of like I think a lot of people have come around to the idea that like he's not actually that good, but he kind of blinded a lot of people with his first oh, handful of seasons yeah. because it, there was a bit of that Doncic versus Trey Young conversation and debate, and that has been that is completely closed. The, the book is shut on that one until unless Trey Young has a huge bounce back season because I don't even think Trey Young made it to the All-Star team in the most recent season, actually, but it's because of what he did in his first couple seasons that people were very caught on or like very much misled by what what he was able to do and the thing is that like with with trey young and the hawks like they're they're just it, it is like they're they're not really going to be bringing in anybody else to be a complimentary star to trey young very easily because it's a small market team on top of that but so that the the way that the the hawks pretty much have to move forward it, it almost feels like now they're in trey young jail that's what's scary about being a, a small market team like the hawks where it's you found you find your guy you hope he's your guy you pray to god that he's gonna actually get get you to the promised land and then it's trey young so like that's that's who they're working with now it's not like a Jokic or Doncic type where we know that those guys should have the potential uh to carry them further but Doncic is problem with with dallas is a whole nother conversation but yeah what do you what do you think of uh trey young the basic problem i have with trey young as well is this is another player where it's like does he even play defense does he even know defense exists like the reason i find that so criminal by the way is because of exactly what we're talking about like it'd be one thing if you were like in a scenario where you it, like basically what their fans think but it's not true if you really were so much of the offense it's like you have to just use 90 percent of your energy for that and you just don't have any energy left for defense like you have to just say well you know just pray basically when they go defensive and i have to score as many as i can that's not what's happening like these guys have had teammates and as you're talking about it's not 
a coincidence, guys, that no big stars say, hey, I want to go to that team. Like, notice how when there's all the discussions every off-season about, like, you know, what will, what, will Kawhi go somewhere? Durant, what's he going to do? Like, there's never even a rumour, like, they go to the Hawks. It's not It's not even, like, a dream. And The joke is even people like Trey Young don't even ever seem to say, like, why does no one go? Like, nobody wants to play with these players, no matter what they say on Instagram or whatever. Mm-hmm. Clearly, the other players do think they're a bit selfish slash just not the player to play with. So defence already is a nightmare there. There's a reason why the Hawks were the worst defensive teams in the NBA. Then also, it's a good analogy because this guy is six foot one if people don't know. Right? I don't think people get this. I feel like I'm an idiot for even having to say this out loud. Like, you know, height's pretty fucking relevant in Czech's notes basketball. Like, guys, what are we talking about? You don't know when you're six foot like these guys. Like, they need, like, the bo- they need to be almost undefended to dunk the ball. Like, they can only dunk the ball if they do that one where you, like, take a proper jump at the right spot. Nobody touches you, and then you can just, like, put your fingers over the edge of the rim. Like, that even means you will miss layups, for fuck's sake. You're not even going to miss open shots that someone else just dunks immediately into the 100% can't-miss sort of shot. Like, it's actually why the- these players are all... And you notice they both just bomb way too many threes. Way too many threes. Yeah. Which I find kind of criminal, because the other thing is, as well... Like, if you do have the skill set these guys have, to me, it's like, mate, then I actually think if you had, like, the proper mindset, you could be so dangerous. Because think about it, right? They can penetrate any time they want. That's why I put Kyrie in this. They can, they're basically wizards when they're inside the paint. They can dribble around anyone. They never give up their dribble. They've got all the crossovers, the moves. Like, mate, if you actually apply that skill set, you could just find an open shooter every fucking time down the floor, it feels like. It feels like you could actually be like the most dangerous assist man in the NBA. But the problem I have is, I always think these guys are looking to score. And so half the time, they'll do all that fancy shit. And then this is where, like, listen, my boy Kobe did it, but he fucking hit the shot, though. They'll then just go into some, like, crazy, like, falling down, massive, like, fadeaway drop. It's like, that looks great if it goes in. The problem is that can't be, like, your staple of your offense. Like, that's supposed to be, like, the shot you do when there's two seconds on the clock. You can't pass anyone. These guys are, like, opting into that as, like, remember, here's the difference as well. My boy Kobe at least straight up called shooting guard. His job is shooting guard. You guys are playing point guard. You're playing point guard, like, in that scenario, it's just an and one league, pass to the fucking guy at the door, and here's the other thing, mate, they're in, at least, Alan Iverson played in the two-point era, these motherfuckers play in the spot-up three-point shooting era, like, you know when everyone goes, if you go look now, you'll see, oh, but Trey Young averages 10 assists, mate, he should average like 20 assists by that logic, what are we talking about, like, if you put the right players around him and he had the right mindset, why don't you just find a shot for someone every time down the floor, the problem is he's trying to find his shot, so that's a problem, by the way, go back on the Iverson thing, the other thing as well, this is a low-key cultural impact thing that you'll like, which is, People don't realise, if you ever go back, it's actually Alan Iverson that ruined the entire NBA with all that dog shit where they, like, carry the ball all day long. Like, I don't think people get this. His crossover, they don't get it, mate. He didn't actually invent that. You just couldn't have done that in, like, 1980. The second you do it, they'll just call you for a fucking travel. You're not allowed to put your hand under the ball and go, like, 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 that's that's only amazing because it wasn't allowed before. And I actually do think, like... The reason why I hate that so much, mate, is because it's like the opposite of what we've done in esports. In esports, we keep nerfing stuff, right? But luckily, because the player skill level goes up, it ends up not mattering. So you know like the joke is, right? Even though I did bitch like a motherfucker for a solid four years about the AWP being nerfed, 
I don't complain anymore because now it's Simple and Z who using it. So it's like, actually, they're so insane. Like, if anything, it's the other way around, right? If they had the pre-op nerf, what the fuck would anyone be doing? Like, wouldn't it just be game <laughs> over? Like, for real, these guys could sort of just be on a team with each other and just win 2v5, it feels like. But, yeah. so, meanwhile, right, you go and look now. It's like, I feel like it's the opposite in the NBA because we've made it easier and easier and easier and easier. Well, now everyone, like, if you allow them to have an, a handle where essentially you can touch the ball anywhere within your circle and then as you're gathering it, you can do like two, three steps really quickly. You can see... Steph Curry, James Hunt, they're all going to abuse that mechanic so hard. And he started that, mate. Because some of those crossovers he used to do, no wonder he'd shake you out. It looks like he just picked the ball up and put it in his other hand without doing it like a dribble. Like, what are we doing at this point? So I thought some of those were mad egregious, mate. Because what's funny is, people might not know this, I've seen loads of times, especially early on, because you know the way those rules are? It's like, it always starts as like, there's a debate among the refs, like, how do we how do we call this, you know? And so initially, some refs are calling it like travel, and some are calling it, no, it's, it's okay. And then eventually, unfortunately, like, there's a watershed moment, and then they just decide everyone's allowed to do it. Because you'll know this as a, as a Warriors fan. Dude, Curry, I've seen him loads of times in his early career get called for travel on the fucking hard and, you know, when he does the, like sneaking yeah. in three steps out like that. Curry has been called on that loads of times. No one is now because everyone's allowed to do it. But I actually, I've always, I've always bitched about it. I think that one mechanic ruined the NBA for me. Yeah, the kind of gather step back. Using the gather step to make it a, a step back three is so... It's just so unguardable, and it's, it's yeah. Because how can you? You can just do like three or four steps backwards, guy. You basically just pick the ball up and run backwards to the line. Like it was, I think. I think Harden's <laughs> entire MVP season is basically oh, wild. predicated on that move yep. working. It's it was unstoppable, understandably. Yeah. I mean, I don't actually know how you're supposed to stop it. By the way, like how are you? Because think about yeah. it, if people don't get it, part of the beauty of basketball, I know a fan won't get this if you're casual, is, I'm, I'm serious, if you ever want to know the really deep part of basketball, watch their feet. Just watch their feet. Like, you will actually be, when you see how good people like Kevin Durant sit around with the footwear, it's, it's amazing, it's art, what they're doing. But you have to realise, I've heard that's what defenders do, by the way. You watch the other person's feet and you're trying to see, like, right, has he done two steps? Like, like what options does he have? Can he pivot to here? If you can just do extra steps like this and gather it up, without, what are you supposed to do then? You can just run away, like, that, there's no block to that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, speaking of footwork, I mean, that's why that's why on our goat discussion, I mean, Hakeem's my my center goat just because uh, like you watch it, what he's doing. And it's like the dude is like a seven foot ballerina. Like he is ser he's seriously like I actually actually I, I like actually that that brings me to another player that I think is overrated. It's a little bit more historical here, but uh, an adversary of Hakeem uh, in like in the NBA finals was Patrick Ewing. I think Patrick Ewing is actually fairly overrated because when I think of, and this is kind of more, I would say cultural and kind of like in regards to public perception. And it's something where I, I actually did a bit of a dive on this because I was thinking like, <coughs> you know, when I watch when I watch all this Hakeem stuff back, uh, it, it was, I mean, Ewing is good. Ewing is definitely a good player. Like that's the, that's the thing we talked about with these overrated, underrated things. It's that most of these overrated players aren't just like, yeah, like it's easy to say thousandth best player is not 100th best player so he is thus overrated because the community doesn't know that but it is fun to actually dive into players that again have achieved some semblance of greatness and people think is very good but for me Ewing Ewing would just get absolutely annihilated by people like Hakeem because he had just so much less finesse he was a he was skilled enough that he could 
carry his team to win a couple of playoff series like he did against uh, the Miami Heat back in the 90s. But it's just that when he when he actually plays against such a skillful center, and yes, Hakeem is an all-time center. He's my he's my go-to center period, then it just he just feels so much more exposed by someone like that that has a bit more finesse, that has a bit more to their game. And so with with a person like Ewing, to me, he kind of reads like there's there's not too many people that can even play the game like Ewing does today because that position has changed so drastically. Like the style that Ewing played of kind of being a bruiser, having a little bit of a mid-range game, like a close mid-range game, a bit of a block, like a low block game, like that stuff is not really even in the NBA anymore. And there's an error discussion to be had there about why that has become so irrelevant. But if you put... Like if you put Rudy Gobert to defend a Patrick Ewing, like he would eat him alive. Like he would, I think Ewing would have such a difficult time against one of the the best defenders in the league today because he just doesn't have the the offensive bag that people like Hakeem did. If you put Hakeem against Gobert, he could still play his game very well. But against, but it's one for one, like Hakeem or one for one, like just Ewing for. For so many, a couple other centers, even at the time, like David Robinson, I think you could have probably put David Robinson on that same Knicks team, and he would have done just as well, if not better. If you put Hakeem in Ewing's shoes, he would have done as well, if not better. And another thing about Ewing and why I actually think he is even more overrated is that I was looking up the the All NBA. He got <coughs> one first All NBA first team. In the time that he got the All NBA first team, he beat Hakeem by two first place he had two more first place votes than Hakeem did in that season and every other time Hakeem just was first all at first team all NBA and to me that kind of reads as a couple things one it could have just been like voter fatigue it could have just been people that were seeing that was like ah we voted Hakeem to do this over and over again and this was a good scoring year for Ewing but Hakeem was destroying him in every other relevant stat Hakeem had led the league in rebounds that league Hakeem actually uh led the league in blocks that league that that season and so for Ewing's one time that he got an all NBA first team it's it's because he did score better than Hakeem did, but Ewing did not was not playing better defense than Hakeem. He was not on an all all defensive team or anything like that. And that's again like why are we rating him higher on the All NBA first team when he was playing worse defense and he wasn't doing the other parts of the of basketball like like rebounding as well as Hakeem. So yeah, I think Ewing is kind of like perpetually been an all NBA second team type guy. And yet he just kind of got that one nod one time. And so that's why I consider him overrated. I mean, obviously playing in New York, especially in the 1990s, oh, it's yeah. essentially like the most crazy bit to ever make you overrated. Cause if people don't know, like I, I know people still do that narrative. Like, no one's given this. It hasn't been the mecca of basketball for like 30 or 40 years now, guys. And secondly, no one gives a shit about playing in New York now. Like the only people who do, I can tell you, if you listen to the podcasts is on the angle of like going out drinking, you idiots. So in that <laughs> sense, by the way, New York, congrats, you know, at the level of Atlanta, etc. like that's like that. That's not actually the basketball heritage. They're all getting high on. That's too, too many years ago, but the nineties was the end of that. That was when they still like, they had the Riley teams and they had some good players still. And they were in the finals. Like that was when it still, made sense and quite frankly Patrick Ewing is the reason why he was like a number one pick and he was a very good player but as you say he was never actually like one of the best players in the NBA for me the problem is not only did he actually play in like probably the last like golden era of, of center players like Shaq David Robinson Hakeem like we're talking about now 
these were all very good players. He wasn't the best. I mean, the difference is, you go and look even at just those other ones you mentioned, like Shaq is one of the best players ever. David Robertson, actually, the joke is, if we do an underrated episode, he might be on there, mate. He's like a phenomenal fucking athlete. And, in, and if you ever look at how short his prime was, because people don't know, he had this whole shit where he actually just like wasted some of his like prime athletic years in the military before he came to play for the Spurs. Like that guy actually was a fucking stud. Like again, this is a player where if you make, if you're doing like an NBA creator play, you think someone would, like hacked the system and just maxed out all the stats. It looks impossible. So Patrick Ewell was a good player, but one, I actually agree. I think the reason why defensively he gets overrated is because he's really good rim protector. He's going to get a lot of blocks, right? This is why stats alone don't do it. I always say this. To me, the stat begins the convo. It doesn't end the convo. People trying to make it end the convo means they just didn't watch the guy play. To me, if you see like a guy with like a lot of steals or blocks, the first thought should be, is he a really good defender? But then if you watch his game and you realize, right, he has a lot of steals, but like it's Alan Iverson, he just gambles for it. Or he's got a lot of blocks, but that's all he's doing is rim protecting. He's not like locking up the other center or the big man or whatever. That is a problem. And then also, offensively, I actually think this is one of the players for me that justifies why the NBA no longer became about like inside out and you always pass to the big man every time down the floor. Because if you look at this guy's career, he actually wasn't actually as dominant as people think offensively. Like, dude, bear in mind, he really is on paper. If you look at him, he looks like he should be the prototypical center. This should, looks like it should be like, right, you pass it to him down low, you do one move, and then he just slams it in someone's face. This guy, like you say, mate, he was so much more than that relying on like a little mid-range floater or like a fucking, like a hook shot or something. And it wasn't as efficient as people think. He wasn't some super killer. Like he was a very good player, but he was not like the dominant player who's like locking up every night. So to me, his, his mid-range game was actually a little bit overrated. And then also, I do think this is another player where for me, I, I have to just assume something mentally wasn't there because I was always shocked that he never took more shots, mate. Like, bear in mind, on his teams, he didn't often have, like, a real number two or number three big name. You would think all the shots... It's, basically, his career... Here's an, here's an analogy for you. I think it's a banger, but it's going to hurt people's feelings. Not on the defensive end, obviously. I think he was, like, his era's version of Dwight Howard. Because I do actually think skill set wise, they both could have been dominant players. But Dwight Howard, I can tell you, mate, he just didn't ask for the ball. He wasn't the guy doing the Shaq thing of like, you know, give me like the ball here now and I'm going to score. They wouldn't even ask for that. And so how can this get, if people don't know, there's not a single career in Patrick Ewan's entire year, in his entire career, he, he took 20 shots a game. Mm. In the 90s, in the fucking 1990s, a center didn't take 20 shots and he was the main option. And you're playing through him. Like, that just shows me there's something wrong with the player there. Like, you have to have like a bit. It's why as much as people bemoan when they have too much ego, you've got to have some ego. The worst thing you can have as a superstar is not enough ego. I actually think that'll kill you more than a little bit too much ego, Maui. Like, you can find ways around the, the big ego, you know. When they don't have the ego, that's why I gave the analogy of Dwight Howard. There's a reason people don't give Dwight Howard the respect he deserves. It's because they actually have like a feeling, just a sort of a, a vibe of he's a bit of a pussy. You know what I mean? Like, I think everyone knows, like, if me and you had to pick an actual like big man skill set in the modern day, of course you'd take someone. He looked like a monster, didn't he? He actually did look like some Greek god out of a fucking gym. He was like, holy shit. But then when you're in the game, I bet you know, I bet no defender's scared of this guy. You're not shitting your pants that he's going to smash you in the face. Like, you kind of know he's a bit of a poppy dog and he's not, he's not, he's not a fucking killer. He's not in that sense. So, yeah, I think so. Right, I've got one for you. We're going to go. Let me think. Maybe it's better if we do a modern day one for this one. 
I know what I'm going to do. I'm, to, to find one truly overrated, I'm going to look up what this team's... What was the all-NBA team for, the, for this last year? For the 2023 season? Oh, I, I have a guy on the... Let me have a look here. That was not... Because I like to do the ones where they yeah. get like the credit, but they, just, they really shouldn't be in it. Like, yeah, let me yeah, have a look yeah. what it is. Let me see who's on this one here. Because we already did Doncic on the last episode, guys. We won't do that again. We already did like a decent segment about him yes. being slightly yeah. overrated. Like That's just the most obvious example. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I'll give you an example right now. People are going to hate it, but I'll, I'll say it anyway. I noticed on the second team, Jimmy Butler's on there. Now, here's why I think that's actually overrated. Because don't we all agree it's in the playoffs he does it all? Like, why is he getting regular season awards? Like, to me, Jimmy Butler doesn't even try to be a superstar player, mate. He's actually an example of someone where it's like, I think he might have the most, I'm not joking, I think he might have the most perfectly attuned ego for his skill set of anyone in the NBA. It's like he gets Maui that in a regular season game that doesn't matter, let the other guys score, let them have their game, let the young pups sort of go for it. And then when it's the playoffs and it's the moment where no one wants the ball and everyone's scared shitless and we're down in the game, then I'll take over. Then I'll do like my five minutes where I do a bunch of isolation plays and I go one-on-one with the other star player. This guy actually, so in a sense, right, the reason why I'm saying he's overrated is because I think people just vibe with like his attitude and like what he represents and they sort of like try to make him a better player than he is. Like my real problem essentially with Jimmy Butler is I think it's only because this era is so weak for like mid-range isolation players and people with like a killer instinct that because he has those qualities, people forget that he, d- he doesn't really have the rest of the game. You know what I mean? Like this was never a guy to me, I'm scared it's going to drop 50 on me in the regular season. You know what I mean? Like, no, who <laughs> the fuck? It's more like if my star player on perimeter is a little bit of a pussy in like game three of a playoff series, now I'm scared. Now he might just get like beaten up in like the third quarter or something like this guy. Like that's that's what I'm worried about. So I don't know about that, mate. Set all second team. That feels like so, a bit of a so reach. It it does, it does. It's just that I I I when I when I saw these results come out uh you know months ago or whatever, I was kind of thinking about it also because I was like why, where's where are some of the big usual suspects even like uh like i would i would have maybe thought of like a siakam or something like that for a regular season but I, you know like even like the durants and paul george's it's just that they were injured too long so they they couldn't actually win it because of like the um i think they i think both of them played under like 50 games last season so you would have obviously put someone like durant there he uh if he had played 60 plus games but i think he only played like yeah sub 50 so that like if we actually think about who are the 15 best players in the league, Jimmy Butler... Dude, he had to... one person voted him first. One person the whole thing. <laughs> That's for, crazy. For, for Butler? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like... It's... You know what I mean? Like, if you're a really good second-team player, there's got to be, like, a few people... That... Like, I'll give you an example. Donovan Vixel had 45 people voted first, and he was a second-team player. Because the point yeah, is, yeah, Don, it's Donovan, debatable. Donovan, you know, like yeah. someone could make the case for that. That means even the people voting Jimmy Butler know he isn't actually like one of the best players. They know he like only he only deserves the second team by at most, basically. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, no, yeah. That's I mean that's kind of the thing with with Butler is like I think he's just kind of hovering in the thirteenth to fifteenth range. So for him to get on a on an award that should indicate that you are a top ten player in the league, that's where it seems a little bit fraudulent so but it, it's just annoying with like players and injuries and then taking rest and all that just because like the that's why also in some ways the all nba list is not always just accurately 
deciding every year who are the 15 best. It's it's uh it's just who. Because basically, I think the point that might seem too subtle for a casual fan, because they're again going to think I'm saying Jimmy Butler sucks. They're missing the point of the difference between the regular season and the playoffs. Yeah. Like, I actually think it's a really underrated aspect of basketball, which is there's a lot of really great players had some problems in the playoffs. But the point is, the majority of their career was a regular season game, and some of them were fucking absurdly good and consistent over like 10, 15 years span playing these games. Like, I always say to people, they can't, we can't really treat you like the 80 games are just for seeding. That's your career. Like, the, what happens in the playoffs is almost like grace. It's like a gift from God if you get some playoff runs. Some people never do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, in some ways, like, I think, okay. With with Butler though, like I don't necessarily. I don't, it's it's kind of weird. It's like actually because he's so, oh, he's just good and he's just quite good in the regular season. But he come he does become like one of the best players in the playoffs. I think you would rather have that though more times than not. Where you'd rather have it's just like it kind of has been the story. Depends what position though. Like years. here's the difference. I wouldn't want Jimmy Butler to be my main star. Like, by definition, I'm not even going to get in the playoffs to get the position. You know what I mean? I'm going to be, like, seventh seed if, if he plays like this. But if he was, like, my second or third seed, yeah, I'm going to be cooking with gas. So the problem is it turns up the scenario is. It's why I always think it's... Like, I'll give you an example. Everyone all, every season just loves to bag on Joel Embiid because he doesn't win the championship, right? Beyond injuries, which obviously is a problem in his career, this is a guy who's going to guarantee... You, you'd be in the playoffs every season if you have this yeah, player. Yeah, like, yeah, how, yeah. how are you not going to yeah. be? This guy's fucking beast in the regular season. It's a monster. Yeah, and so in some ways, like because of the narrative shifting so heavily, actually, between Jokic versus Embiid, and then yeah, Embiid did better in that one regular season game where uh, I think Jokic actually sat it. It was so, the one like, where he sat out because he sort of like he semi he claimed he was injured or some bullshit like that, didn't he? Yeah, during the end of the last regular season, and they and so like Embiid won the MVP, but then everybody saw Jokic end up winning the whole championship and actually winning finals mvp pretty much like just i mean that was just such an obvious award too like i i think like in some ways like i can't i can't really tell right now based off of public perception right now if Embiid has actually gotten underrated again because again like people are also very like vicious against him because he sometimes has that floppy game where he does he does like kind of just like act like he just got clobbered even though it's like dude you're you're definitely the strongest person on the floor right oh, now oh he does the lebron trail. thing where like even though yeah. your upper body looks like like I, I could like, like the joke is in a Hollywood movie, you'd be the bouncer that I like punch. And then it's like, I break my fist by punching you. But in yes. the NBA, they, these guys get touched like that. And they're like, oh, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and it's like, we can't, you can't respect that bro. Like when you have the physique you have, I can't respect that. Like fucking Austin Reeves or something's making you like, whoa, like, you know, there's no way, there's no way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So that's why, in a weird way, Embiid has gotten, like, public. the public, the community has kind of turned against him, but it's like, we still know he is, like, one of the, the he's, he might be the best player in the, I mean, he's a top three player in the league. Yeah. Top three, easily. By the way, here's what's funny. I would have chosen Jokic to the MVP, but I think it's a totally legitimate shout. Like, yeah, I actually yeah. think one of the things that's really tough when we, on this, on this topic, actually, is because people still use these weird, like, old school metrics for MVP, like, in the Embiid one, if people don't know, they do it where it's like, if your team has the better record, and then you, like, win the key national televised game, you're like, there we go, he secured the MVP. So I think that's nonsense, personally. 
<laughs> but it means that like people are having like you, the nightmare you're gonna have is spoiler yes guess what the Nuggets the Bucks and the fucking Sixers are really good teams in the NBA so now you're gonna be picking based on like arbitrary things like who has a slightly better record who has like the big get- win gear because I actually think picking between those three Giannis Embiid and York is really hard they all have different games they're all really good players by the way they're all the best player on their team like yeah it's hard it's hard to pick a moment yeah, that's I mean, I, I when I when I think of how I would even rank an MVP, maybe this is a discussion for a whole nother a whole nother day because I kind of just like in brief, I think of like value over replacement, which is kind of why when I brought up the Ewing being overrated thing, that if you put a couple centers in his era on his team for the Knicks, I think they still would have been doing just fine, if not even better. Like that's kind of what I think of when a when I try to consider an MVP discussion. Like, I mean, it, the thing is that some teams also though they get. They, they are constructed to fit a certain player's skill set, so you can't really always just do a one-for-one. One. But if you kind of thought of if a league average or even a league above average player were substituted in for Embiid, for Jokic, does that team have any success? And the answer is kind of just like no. They, they, they wouldn't be even close. Which leads me to actually talk about one of his other players being completely overrated, which I... I think uh, it, it's it's more on the salary side, and I would say it's slightly community side, but this is more so a salary overrated player, which is Tobias Harris. Like this guy is the 19th highest paid player in the league. He's making uh, in the upcoming year 39 million dollars, and this dude is a glorified three and D wing guy. Like this is this is basically what happens when people to a fault consider the structure of their team and they want to surround their star players like an Embiid with a release valve player like Tobias Harris where he's just going to be he's not really using his size to create too much he's kind of just standing out there he's kind of just like looking for some kind of I don't like he to me Tobias Harris it does make sense to be for him you could win and do pretty well with him being your third or fourth best yeah, yeah. player on your team but when he's getting a max contract that's kind of that's one of those it? it is ridiculous because he's he's last season he shot 39 percent from three again this isn't these aren't bad and he shot 50 percent from the field but it's just the the lack of individual creation and the fact that like you you look at some of the other people with salaries similar to him like like for example tobias harris gets paid more uh now than uh, people like Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum. Uh, this, this is also due to like vet, like veteran status and like the way that the contracts work. Where, but like in no in no world do I think like he's even better than like Jalen Brown. And yet, yeah, Jaylen you know that's Brown, actually an angle I never thought of that people don't bring up. By definition, every single really good like all star level um, young player who's on a rookie contract, they're all underrated by that logic. It's, it's true. Yeah. They're all underrated because they're all getting way underpaid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By by the the fact that yeah. people like Tobias Harris are getting paid more than them, that's just that it's that to me it. is just is so funny. Uh, even Demar Demar Derozan, who is getting paid less than Tobias Harris, by the way. Like, there's just there are there is Tobias Harris is a player that I think that actually in when he secured when he was on his contract year, he had this really like he, he the PR. I, I don't know what it was, but I actually got fooled by it a little bit too. Where before that contract, it, it was like the, his his agency started just pumping out all this material for him that he was like in the gym, gonna get better. Like I think he had a, a I mean I think he scored like 
I think he was like 21 points roughly or something per the in the season before his contract year and and so that secured him like a major bag with Philadelphia which in turn kind of led them to just like overpaying for a guy that last season shot he 14 points per game like that's just so crazy for the 19th highest played play, payer play, paid player to be scoring that little like I I just can't um all right, I've got one for you because it's along similar lines, actually. You were making me think of it when you were setting this all up. This isn't going to be based on salary because actually salary-wise, when I've looked it up now, he's actually exactly about where it should be. He makes $19 million a season. It's going to be Aaron Gordon of the Nuggets. Mm. And the reason why he's overrated is this. Bro, play, players like this are getting like half of their entire offensive game made easy by playing with Jokic. It's actually oh, yeah. a fucking joke. All they're doing all day long is just getting open on ridiculous attempts. Like they're just getting free roll to the basket, take a three-point shot. Like it's I'm not even saying like they're not even vaguely bad players. It's just like this is an example of a player where years from now, especially if the Nuggets, by the way, like get a couple more rings, this sort of player will be the one who gets insanely overrated, a la the Draymond Greens of the world, where like some people really do like the joke is even Draymond Green himself overrates the fuck out of himself. Like we've talked about in the past episodes where he's just like shit talking, like some of the like best boss drivers never to win the NBA. And he's just like, yeah, yeah, look at my rings. It's like, bro, by that logic, you don't have any rings. You're just holding Steph Curry's rings, which by the way, contact me Charles, I'll, I'll give you some lines, mate. Because, you know, that's one thing that's really sad, by the way. I've actually told some players like this in CS. The problem is they just never remember. I've told some of them, bro, your problem is you're just not good enough at shit talking. Like, just hit me up. I'll give you some lines. Like, I can tell you, like, the angle to say the simple, you know, like, like, because, by the way, there's always an angle. Like, even if, for example, like, you're a sniper and simple's better than you, you just do some shit like, yeah, but here's the thing. When I leave a team, no one's happy I left. You know what I mean? There's, there's so many. You've got to have all the bitchy little gossip angle. You've got to have it all, mate. Because, anyway, to go back, though, this is an example of a player where it's like people have to understand the great the really great players not just good players like when, when some of these names we're talking about are just good players because people like Jokic are like transcendently good at the game the impact they're having on other people's careers is ridiculous as well you've got to give that like it's proper due credit so to me Aaron Gordon someone where I mean I saw him play on the fucking magic he's a good player but he would have just been consigned. No one would even remember him in 20 years. You know what I mean? No one would know the name. In fact, quite frankly, the fact his surname is Gordon. Like, dude, you can argue Eric Gordon was better at one point. So you know what I mean? Like, you, you wouldn't even be remembered. But on this team, he's already won a ring. Probably going to win more, by the way. And at the end, like, like I said, I actually think he's getting paid about the right amount. If you know what the modern NBA salaries are, he's only fourth on his team in salary. He's getting 19 million this season. That's probably about right based on what he does. But I just think, like, I mean... Here's the real problem. Do we do we talk about the real elephant in the room, which is obviously Jamal Murray, isn't it? Which, oh, did he say that out loud? Oh, my God, did he say that? Because this is another player where, mate, people want to act like this is the 1B player. This ain't a uh... 1B player, mate. Because here's the problem. Tell you what I want to see. Do the Kobe for me. Have the game where Jokic fouls out and then just let me see this Jamal Murray on his own with no one else. I want him to take over the whole game. Because I tell you what, he can shoot the fuck out of a three-point ball. When he has Jokic in the game, I think he is absolutely deadly. I think that together they're a fucking insane combo. But I think that's an example of a player where it's like, I think he is absolutely fucking happy to be the Robin to the Batman. He doesn't want to be Batman, mate. Like, that sort of a player, there's like a, there's, there's, there are levels to this shit. And he's like just below the actual real star level for me. I don't think he would be this killer if you put him on his own. Like I, I, like, I really hope he doesn't yeah. ever do a Kyrie and try and go his own way and, like, get his own franchise. I think that would be death. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's for sure. I, I would say that Jamal Murray uh, had, like, a very 
kind of quiet, uh, like insane performance though in the the conference finals. Oh, in the playoffs, the he was mega. Yeah, not, yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah. So I can't. I like. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put him in. The, I don't think I put him in the top. Like, I think he's like thirteenth in the league, maybe for me. If I had to make a ranking today, like he he's still in the, like the top fifteen players for sure. But those aren't again. Like this goes back to the discussion of like he's not like an S tier player that's going to will you to the, I don't think he would, I mean, you wouldn't get to the Western Conference Finals if he's your best player. Like, you ha, you need to be a sidekick. If Dude, you know what's weird about that is, I actually do feel like that's something misunderstood because we have these convos in esports all the time. People miss it in the same way. It's like, you can actually be a better player than someone yet not be an appropriate, like, 1A option, if you know what I mean. Like, that really is a thing. Like, I actually do think the NBA work, and all sports work that way. Like, it's not about how good you are. It's sort of like, what space do you occupy? What effect you have on other people? In this case, what happens when it comes down the crunch and you're the one that has to have the, have the ball? You know what I mean? Like that's tough on some people. Yeah, yeah. I, if if what I what I was able to see in the Western Conference Finals with Jamal Murray does say to me that he actually like how old is he right now? Actually, he's um... uh, he's twenty five. Yeah, like the thing is that he has a lot of room to grow still. And the thing is that with how good he did in the Western Conference Finals, I actually think that he could become a top three point guard in in three years. I, I think it's I think it's very possible as a couple other people like fall off a little bit. So I don't necessarily think like it's it's bad for him to try to see if he can try to become that guy. Like, I, I, I get why you say that about Kyrie. Like, Kyrie's game, to me, was more selfish than Murray's, though. Like, Murray, Jamal Murray could play in a system and actually, I'd say, lead a team pretty well. It's just, it would be, it would be a very, actually, you know what? It'd be a really interesting case study if he actually became the best player on a team that was more, like, team-centric ball, like a Spurs-type lineup where it's like they actually play really good team ball, but he has to be the best option available, and there's no Jokic. Or if he was on the Heat or something like that, you know, if he was like the main yeah. player there, that would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. By the way, you yeah. know, as an aside, one thing I think we actually should talk about on this show, because in my opinion, it's just ruined all online discussion. Like, I actually find the modern sports discussions online untenable. I can't handle them. I have to exit immediately. Is... What is this shit where these 14-year-olds who themselves have never accomplished anything in life treat everyone except the absolute best player like they're a piece of shit? What is that? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. by the way, you are aware, guys, in the NBA, you don't have to win the championship. Like, if you could actually be a, a guy who can carry a franchise, and let's say you can make it like a round or two into the playoffs every year, and you can put up 20-plus points, and you can have a bunch of assists, and you're efficient on your shots, and you do what the coach wants, you play a bit of defense, you are having a fantastic career. Like, there's and no life. disrespect to you. Yeah, like, th yeah, this thing where amazing. the kids are, hey, little bro is never going to taste the chat. You are never going to. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, what is this? Because the thing I hate about it is, the worst is what they do to the legends. Like, do people actually Act like Charles Barkley's a bomb. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, bro, the guy's a monster. It's the same thing. Even I'll even take back some of the people we've had in this convo. Even if I go back to Alan Iverson, the guy was like six foot nothing going round like Shaq and then fucking laying it in with like a Kyrie Irving. Like all the shit you think now, no one else yeah, could do. He was yeah. doing that back then. Like there's one where it spins backwards enough itself and off the backboard. Like they was doing impossible shit. Like you do realize that would be like a fucking banger Hollywood movie of like the inspirational story of a player who comes up and battles. 
How these young play- people are just shitting on players, I don't get it, mate. If people don't know, I don't shit on, like, Zewu's skill set. You'll never see that ever in your life. I shit I on the perception of his fanboys and the other French people in the scene. If you notice, oh, except for that one time Lorna's tried coming at me, I said Zewu's 90% gums. Except for that time, I've never actually been... That's straight fighting. Because <laughs> Lorna's did that stupid thing he does where he just Zoom posts where you just instantly reply whether there's like anything to it or not. And he just but like Simple's best year was 90% equal. So I just said Zewu was 90% gums, which I think, listen, that's as fair, that's as par for the course, mate. That's, just, you know, what's that's good for brand. the, yeah, what's good that's for the goose brand. is good for the gander. And also, spoiler, did hurt your feelings, didn't it? So what do you want? It worked, it hit, it hit home. But yeah, the point I was going to make was, in that scenario, it's like, come on, mate, these are all fabulous players. Like, you, people have made this winning the championship thing too much, mate. It has to be about expectations. It's like, think about, I'll take it to eSports, again i don't think it's wrong to dog nico about not winning the major because nico is so transcendently good it's if he'd had the right team he could have done it every single major for like the last what 12 or something meant like that it's like a long time but i'll tell you an example in counter-strike if someone comes at me this young in his career and tells me like axiles are bomb because he hasn't won the major it's like what are you judging at this point in time? He's having a fantastic career. He's had a few problems with his teammates. Well, he's tracking amazingly. Like the yeah. joke is a player like that's still tracking to where like, if in two years he won the major in the grand Slam, there'd be no complaints. His resume would look awesome. You'd be like, yes, yeah, exactly where you need to be. You had a couple of years to power up. You got through, you know, the hard times, you had a few letdowns and then eventually you won it all. And you're the best. Like mm-hmm. that's actually how your story should go. I feel like too many kids, it's almost like they think life is a movie. They don't They don't realize the, the struggle. Like remember, the other thing I want to throw in as well is this. There's a finite number of championships out there. Like if yeah. you play in an era where Kevin Durant wins the championship, you could actually be fucking Jokic and you don't get to win that year. It doesn't matter how good you were. And the reason that sucks to me is because another thing people ignore with the NBA is because there's a finite number of championships, when you play at the same time as truly transcendent players, there's even less for you to win. Now you might have a chance at like three rings. Like basically in certain areas, like in this era, for example, you're actually hoping essentially like a fucked up playoff bracket happens if you're just like the eighth best player because you ain't going to win otherwise. <laughs> like you might be amazing. You might play right to your level, do everything in your team and your coach wants. But the problem is the guys we're talking about, like they transcend this era and they can be talked about with like the best players to ever play any sport, you know? And this is also why sometimes when you have these discussions about who's overrated, that people are so hostile to any of these takes and they're going to be like, uh, like super casual take, like this guy is not overrated. It's like, we're not saying again, like that these guys are bums. I think, I think Thorne and I have at least proven that we take enough nuance into these discussions that we're not necessarily just chastising somebody for being ranked like mentally for a lot of people as a top five player when in reality we see them as a top 15 player we're still recognizing their greatness a lot of the time so people again like it's just the the binary approach to a lot of discussions which is what has led us to nephews calling all-time great players but not the goat a bum you know like it's just that there's so many more layers that need to be unpacked in having a more thorough discussion and so few people are willing to take the time and effort to do that because they'd rather just say something sensational and the thing is that we when like so many of my takes have been shaped in the past about just kind of like i try to find very specific angles that are actually pretty hard to argue against but they seem very incendiary because i'm i am 
trying to find an angle to slight somebody who is a great player, or I am trying to even find a way to compliment somebody that's underrated too. And that's why I think when we do an under, like who's underrated show, it'll also be kind of interesting and show a lot of the fans what our eye for the game is and what we do end up valuing. Because I think we're going to, there's going to be some people like, like when we did the people that are like younger and actually have a chance to make it to the top 100 eventually, that's a good time to just, just display to everybody. It, it is easy to slight people. Like it's very, it's actually easier in life, generally speaking, to criticize as opposed to praise. And so the people that have actually become homers and big fan, like stands for those individuals that are like the 15th best player or the fifth best player, but not the goats, they almost feel like they in a way are a saint because look at me, I'm, I'm so gracious for taking this player under my wing and becoming a fan of them, even though I know they're na not named LeBron James, I, I am a gracious God. And so like you slighting that player that I have deemed worthy of my own fandom is to me is now a slight against me too. When it's like, no, we're just having, we're just trying to have a more balanced discussion about all these people. Well, I've got one for you then just cause this will hit home in both senses. Jordan Poole. Here's why he's <laughs> overrated. Oh, because they're just doing that thing they do with all the players like Don Schmidt, which is they just give them the credit before they've done it yet. Like the talent is there, the potential is there, but spoiler, dude, we've, I could just change the name and we've seen this a million times. Remember a guy called Wiggins? Yeah, he was also going to be like the fucking goat perimeter player, unstoppable. Like the problem with all these guys is they may as well all be the same person. They're all like score 20 points, pretty good from three, like up and coming game, got a handle. Like but the problem with that is, you're going to have every time in this, especially the way the modern NBA is played, you're going to have 10 people like that constantly and only one or two really are going to make the cut, you know. The rest are going to just become good NBA players that have a career elsewhere, maybe on like middle team, like early playoff teams, etc. So this is an example of a guy where it's like, like, put it this way, I actually think the way the Warriors are using him is perfect. They are setting him up where he's not in any way supposed to carry the team, but he's sort of given like room to cook and then he's sort of trying to see, right, if things go a bit dodgy with like Curry's injuries in the future, maybe we could like transition to this being the guy. But if he doesn't make it though, we can still just essentially trade. We can trade off and get someone else. It's no problem. We're not like committed. We're not like in suicide pact. Like you said about Trey Young, we're not like trapped by Trey Young in that sense. Like we're, it's not like if this guy doesn't make it. So I actually think that's why the Warriors nailed it, mate. Because I do think there are plenty of other teams in the NBA, especially now after seeing him develop. Dude, they would gladly lock themselves in a Trey Young prison with fucking Jordan Peele and be like, look, yeah. if he doesn't make it, that we're fucked but if he does then it's awesome because this is like I said that's why I gave the example of Wiggins Mate, Wiggins looked fire when he came to the NBA his game looked really nice like but did he make it did he make the jump not yet he hasn't, he hasn't managed to make that like big jump up because I also do think it's why if you notice in esports, I think I did a pretty good job with this where I, I always explain, I have a very different definition between star and superstar. I think there is a difference between the two. I even yeah. think famously the way people say it's the best, like a superstar is a star even among star players. The problem with Pool is he's like right on the line for me. So I'm actually very interested because I want to see, does he develop in the end? Because he has the potential to do it, but he hasn't got, he hasn't made the jump yet for me. He's still like right on the line. Well, I've seen so much Jordan Poole because I watch I watch practically every single Warriors game. So I could go through all of the faults and actually the regression in Poole's game from last year to this year. What do you think he's lacking? Like, can they do something to bring more out of him, do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't play within the flow of the game anymore. Like, he actually kind of, like, started just, okay. like, rushing his game a lot more where I'd say two years ago he was a lot more centered in his approach he actually played within the flow of the offense a bit better he was a great shooter at that and then when he what's cool about pool is that when he has to lead a secondary team 
in you know the final four minutes of the first quarter or like the cer okay. certain rotations where you're basically playing your like weaker lineup yeah, yeah. pool is great in those moments like he's really good at leading an offense when he's against the you know the seventh eighth but if and people know the reference defenders. like back in the day when harden used to be on the thunder he used to be like the best yeah. if you brought him in as the th second team leader yeah and for people like jamal crawford they had a whole career out of being excellent yes. six men where they could just yeah. be a spark plug they could instantly just jumpstart what's going on in a secondary unit probably actually put up like 15 points in a game in pretty limited minutes on actually decent efficiency it's just that you know that when it comes down to crunch time in the final four minutes of a game this guy is one very likely to make mistakes and two he can't defend anybody so like that's where you have to hide him on a roster where you need to just kind of put him on those like 20 minutes per game use him when like the your actual backups or your actual like numbers one two and three have to take rest like that's when he can actually really make some do some damage and actually the, what's cool about pool is that he one has a very strong handle like he's he's actually his handle's very good because he carries all the time <laughs> like he actually carries the ball constantly like iverson does and it, there was this stretch in the season of probably 20 games straight where pool had i think pool actually ended the nba season with the most caring violations of any player okay. because and that but the thing is that when they don't call it he can just get around anybody yeah. because he can literally just cheat. He can just yeah. cheat and get around them. And so it's 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 uh it just depends on how the refs are feeling day to day. And in the season where the Warriors won their championship over the Celtics, Poole was probably the fifth best player, I'd say, on that roster behind Curry, Wiggins, Thompson, and Draymond. I'd say Poole was number five right there. You could argue that it was Gary Payton in the second, actually, for his perimeter defense, but like if it were it, like with pool with pool in the, those games like he just played the way his team needed him to but it felt like after the draymond incident with pun getting punched he started just being like you know what i'm gonna prove you guys or i'm gonna prove you draymond that i deserve this and so he started playing so far outside of himself and he started not being patient he started just kind of like shooting shots within the first seven seconds of the shot clock and it started just showing everybody that oh like like you know when you're a confident person you let life come to you a little bit more. You let, you let, because you know there's going to be a, a better opportunity later where you can really display your skill set. And it's like a guy at a party that's too early just trying to crack jokes so quickly and you realize you're not actually being witty. You're just like trying to like, like barrage us with, with like your personality because you want to like make such a strong impression for early on. But then like the guy you end up like really at the end of the party wanting to actually have that one more drink with is usually the guy that like, probably just kind of like, you know, said a few subtle things early on, but then you realize at the end of it all, like he's probably one of the smarter people in the room and that he has more to contribute than the dude that just kind of like spent it all in the first 30 minutes. And that's what Poole does in a possession. By the way, in case someone is a casual fan, I'm just going to like do like I do in CS. I'm going to update you on some principles of the game to look out for, right? I've always thought one of the weirdest things fans do is, you know, when people are those like famous sixth man, like we're talking about in this case, like Jordan Poole, the classic ones in NBA history is Jamal Crawford and Lou Williams. These are like two of the best in the modern day. You know, and you can even add in Manu Ginobili. When people see that, they think like stupidly like, 
like the status is in being a starter. It's like, that's not even the way they're being used, guys. The whole point of why it's awesome to have them as a sixth man is because as we're talking about, when the starters from both teams go to the bench, they just get to run riot over like the fucking second team of the other team. So as a result, if you're someone like Jamal Crawford or Lou Williams, who's like above average, but you're not a true superstar, you are just going to dominate. You're going to have a fucking awesome period of the game. And it means that your team doesn't have that insane shit where it's like every time your main star go off the bit off the floor you just bleed points like no you're gonna fucking have a bunch of runs and get back in the game or keep the competitive so it's actually like a low-key underrated way of using players that i think is like they're, they're thinking like you should be a starter like some that's like some really old school basketball stuff guys in the modern day without remember at the end of the day like the manager normally wants the best example ever because it's like if you ever go and look you still got all your minutes and at the end of the game you're still gonna get to finish it if you manage nobly like who gives a shit if you start and they announce you like the point is in this scenario you can do way more damage off the bench it's actually a mad underrated way to use a player like that in my opinion that's why it's going to be really interesting for for pool now that he's uh joining the wizards to see if he's really supposed to be that guy on the roster if he can actually carry the offensive load and uh shore up his his uh his weaknesses because uh like ginobili ginobili like yeah, he was so good. At, he, he was good because you could put him in at the end of a game because he doesn't make mistakes and he just makes sure that he's playing within the system that Popovich has outlined. But like, that's where someone like Poole and for my money, people like Lou Williams and Jamal Crawford fall off is like, you don't you don't want them in the last five minutes of a game, uh, especially if it's close. Because the other problem as well is people keep doing this thing in the NBA, bro, where they'll just, like, take a narrative outside of the game. Like, the worst one ever was probably that Jalen Brunson one in the playoffs. So because he talked shit to LeBron, we're going to pretend he oh. sucks at basketball now. Like, what? This guy's really good. What are we What are we doing? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I get that in the, I get in the movie he'd be the bad guy, but, like... I don't get what the connection is, mate. Like, you don't have to vibe with someone's banter, but he's clearly not shit at basketball, is he? Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy's a beast. Uh, I have a, I have a more modern, overrated player. Uh, it's Demontis Sabonis, uh, the that that guy for the Kings, <clears throat> their center. He was getting played off the floor in the Warrior series uh, in the first round of the playoffs, where during the regular season, like. He kind of reads to me just kind of as like a regular season merchant where he had he does have a, a pretty good game but like when he actually has to play against an elite defender like draymond who is tasked with just stopping him sabonis just fell off a complete cliff and he actually it felt like sabonis just lost his confidence too every time he touched the ball and draymond was within five feet of him it's like he just passed it immediately he didn't he didn't slow the game down to the level that he did during the regular season where he knew that he was able to just kind of like work a little bit the intensity wasn't there and when he has that breathing room Sabonis can be a really good player and it's why he got onto the third all NBA third team this season but a lot of people coming into that warrior series were actually saying things like who's going to deal with Sabonis? And the answer was very easily. It was so easy for, for Draymond to just handle him. He just pressured up close. He had good hands. He just made sure to like, they, they blocked like pretty obvious passing lanes too. And then Sabonis just kind of like ended up just dribbling. Most, most times I saw a possession with Sabonis, he got the ball at the top of the key, maybe tried taking one dribble, but would just pass it immediately after he was it was beaten into him that Draymond will stop you from getting any closer. And so I think that 
for Sabonis, he it's kind of it was kind of a reputation thing. I think in terms of pay, he's actually making a decent chunk of change. Like he's making thirty million a year. Like the people oh, around Kinell. him in terms of okay, yeah, in terms of money right oh, now, like Jalen Brown is making a, a million more per year. Uh, but people that are making less than him, for example, are Kyle Lowry, Chris Middleton, Demar Derozan, and so. I don't know. I don't think necessarily thirty. Like that's that's very bad contract wise. But like like Jason Tatum only makes two million more than him. So I, I think like someone likes and the thing is also Sabonis is gonna is going to make a huge jump in the following year where he's gonna start making forty one million dollars a year, that's which mental. would which would put him into the top twenty of, of players. So I think that Sabonis right now is. I'd, I'd say he's actually, compared to like Tobias Harris, who's another player I said is overrated for salary reasons, they're going to end up having, I mean, so, so Harris doesn't have a guaranteed contract, I don't think, after his current one. But if like Harris and Sabonis are kind of at that same one, I would say that Sabonis is a better player than Tobias Harris. But I would say that community perception has lifted Sabonis to a much higher degree than Harris. So that's why I'd say, yeah, Sabonis to me is one of the more overrated players despite having a very cool and niche skill set. But to me, he is like the broke version of Jokic. The problem is already, if people don't know, just his surname alone means people are primed to overrate him. Because basically, if you don't know, his father essentially is one of like the campfire legend characters where it's like, if they could have just come to the NBA like 10 years earlier, they might have for real just been like one of the best players to ever play basketball because by all accounts, they were a stud. And then I remember even when they came and they were like quite old, they were just a really skilled fucking big man. And you can see why he's got some of the skills of his dad, but he isn't his dad. Like the difference is this guy is... It's like, also, I'll add in, this is the era when people slightly overrate European players now because we've just found so many that are really good. Now, the joke is, there used to be a bias against European players. Now, the bias is in favor of them. Now, people almost are on the train of, like, wanting all the top players to not be Americans so they can sort of bag on any or some weird angle like that. So, to me, the real problem is, like, I see what you mean. Like, the idea, like, anyone can't stop this guy. It's like, it's not that sort of a, dif- a player, mate. He's not some, like, super dominant force of, like, shitting on you. Like, he has a very unique skill set like he's an amazing fucking rebounder he's one of the best passing big men which obviously comes from his dad like it's unbelievable at that but yeah to me he's he's actually this guy is someone who like 10 years ago he would have just been on the Spurs mate he's just like an obvious player that's been part of a system would do his job and then if your team is good enough you could win but he's not some like individually dominant player I think that that part is insane so the idea this guy's making that much but that blows my mind mate like I was figuring because that's the other thing I don't look at the salaries in the NBA in the modern day I don't follow it like that I just watch the game so I was shocked I was thinking this would be like a 20 million player or something like that you know like that's the sort of like range I would have put him in because again this is like a this is more like a piece I add to a team to make those a championship team this isn't the piece yeah yeah and i think for example i think he him and him and De'Aaron fox uh make within two million and it's kind of like this is the kings for example like as a team do have a a bit of room to grow because a lot of their players are quite young to their credit but it's just that they like if if sabonis and fox are your best two i don't it's kind of hard for this to see this team actually making it even out of the West because uh, there's just too many other young cores that I think are... Really Holy shit! Right Holy... Mate, just what? if we're going off salary, then De'Aaron Fox could be the next fucking... Him. $30 million! Yeah, 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 yeah. Fox, like, again, Fox this is, is, this is by no means a lot. bad player, but this isn't a fucking... I wouldn't bet my franchise on this guy, even if it's the Kings. <laughs> like, holy shit, bro. What? You know, yeah, and the thing is, you know, he's actually... That's wild. Um, 
That's he's getting paid the same amount as Tatum, and he's a year older than Tatum, too. So That's metal, like, isn't it? It's cra- it is crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. By the way, if you notice now, most of these convos, when we talk around them, it's why I say, this is where you know who, like, understands team sports and who doesn't. I get why people are, like, upset that the Celtics didn't win a championship yet. Mate, that is a phenomenally GM'd team. Whoever put that yeah. squad together really knew what they were doing. Like, look how deep it is, but at the same time, it has, like, the main pieces you want, and then it has others that you could, like... You can even do the thing that, like, is the sign of a... Tr- if people don't get it, in the modern day, nobody has franchises like the 90s Bulls and the 80s Lakers. You don't really get to keep all your players the whole run. You're always going to have to trade a couple and then take a couple of someone else's. Like, this is a team where you could easily trade a couple but keep the core identity. It's like, you could run this team for a long time. That's why the real question, which is a good convo, is do they keep the main duo? Like, that's the only real question. The rest of the team's phenomenal, yeah. What a, gr- a well-put-together squad, yeah. Definitely, definitely. I think there's... Mm. Right, let's do this then. We'll pivot to one last aspect, which is we've okay. done a bunch of the overrated there. We'll do a future episode of underrated. But one topic I wanted to talk about, because I thought we had like a lot of interesting digressions we can go on here, is just essentially what NBA analysis is like. Because one thing I find really weird is the gulf of what types of analysis there are is insane, but there's nothing in the middle. There's only two types of NBA analysis, Maui. There's the on-camera, like, undisputed first take slash morning show circuit where they just give you it's just a talking head who nearly always just gives you it's like hot take point made except they're not even joking they're just doing it for real like right today's here's today why lebron will always be better than michael johnson like that's just to get you riled up when you drink you come what the hell you know what i mean like that's just that shit right which we all know what that is it's basically clickbait it's the equivalent of like pimps tweets on twitter right we all know what they're there for we all know who they're for we all know who's getting attracted and who's getting mad at that but then, if you're someone who comes that you watch the game like we have and you go, I want a bit more substance than that, then your only option is these mega dry written pieces that are just like, bro, you're just like telling me every <laughs> no, play they run. You know what I mean? Like, is yeah. there something in between? Can I get, essentially, this is the analogy, Maui. I can only have some like egregious, disgusting looking burger with all like cheese oozing out of it, and, like onion ring. Or I can just have like, you know, those bodybuilders where it's like, bro, at least put some spice on it. That's just raw chicken and fucking rice. Like, I can't eat that. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, give me like yeah. a little bit of sauce. Get, spend 20 20 calories for some sauce, you know, like, <laughs> wow, what is a nutritious meal with some actual flavor, basically? So I don't yeah. think there is any. And the reason why I bring this up is we've obviously, I mean, you're still on your way, but you've got, you've got a decent tra- backlog of doing events in CSGO and doing the analysis and doing the, and knowing what it's like to have the one minute or the two minutes or even with a fill, five minutes, my Lord, five whole minutes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, in that scenario, I will say it is really hard to make it interesting without it just being a by or just one big point you know or like throwing something out there that's a bit inflammatory but mate there's just no analysis like what do you in general is there do you have like a go-to place you go to for analysis do you actually like it in general i just sort of stay away from it like the reason why i always big up skip bayless is because i i get it that the, the talk show shit is just like fucking pantomime mate. It's, it is supposed to just be pageantry so at least he like sort of gets that and plays into his character and and it up. I don't get the ones who really like the real reason I always tell people this the reason I don't fuck with the Nick Wright guy is I actually think he really thinks he's making fire points and he sat down and figured it all out and he's like the mega mind that's like the only one who gets that LeBron's better than everyone else. Like, I don't get what his what he thinks his character is. So, do you actually consume any stuff? Do you like the vibe yeah, in yeah, general? Because yeah. it's obviously a big topic nowadays. 
I uh, followed for a pretty good amount of time. I was following Marcus Thompson and Ethan Strauss, who were like the beat reporters for the Warriors. And so I liked a lot of their stuff. Uh, they were doing more stuff that was in relation to like Bay Area, well, you know, the Warriors and at that. But like for the guy that I think helped shape how I view the game on a slightly more tactical level was Zach Lowe. I was, I was reading a lot of Zach Lowe articles. Um, I think I took a picture with Zach Lowe actually at the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference too. Um, or was that somebody else? I think it was actually, no, it was Ethan Strauss. Actually, I took one with Ethan Strauss there. Um, but basically, like, I I don't know. I, I, I watched, I listened to uh, a Zach Lowe panel, I think it was. But Zach Lowe used to be, to me, do you remember, you remember Stuchu for like Dexerto and whatever else he wrote for? I think that Stuchu more or less just took what Zach Lowe did to the NBA and put it into Counter-Strike. And that's why I really liked Stuchu, because it was basically a little bit of narrative storytelling of a greater picture idea into literally seven second YouTube clips that he would in embed into his articles so that you could see that play play out as as an example in his discussion. And the thing is that Zach unfortunately isn't to me the strongest podcaster and i think that he's worked he's on a little bit dry in me. yeah yeah he used to be very very dry but i actually liked him when he was drier i actually thought that he was better drier because he would just nerd out like crazy on what what he was talking about but now he's trying to be a little bit i think espn has pushed him in a direction or <coughs> somebody somebody has given him the advice at some point that he should try to be a little bit more low level or high level so that everybody can understand what he's talking about. But I actually think that his strengths was just being the nerdiest guy that could break down tactics with coaches and with players, and then also talk about the strengths and weaknesses of certain styles of play. And so that to me was really good. Uh, I find like people like Stephen A. Smith just laugh out loud, side-splittingly funny. I think he is the funniest sports analyst in the world right now. Like, I don't know anybody that has as many clips regularly where I'm just like, his his sense of humor just aligns. You know, when fans well. get triggered and they're like, "Oh, look, he's, he's being a clown." It's like, mate, that's the best part of it. <laughs> like, if he was, that's if he best. actually just sat like really dry and just delivered it, it'd be shit, wouldn't it? But the fact he's so over the top and the ridiculous slogans is hilarious, isn't it? Like, yes, it's, yeah. it's mad entertaining. Yeah, yeah. I don't necessarily like Stephen A. Actually, has pretty like he doesn't have many incendiary takes when I really watch no, him on segments. He just says a lot of like he peddles a lot of common narrative things here and there, but sometimes it's kind of like, especially when it's a case of something outside of basketball or like a team decision that was made, he can get so animated. Like I think one of his, his best lines ever was, I think, what is it? The Knicks signed Lamar Odom after he got out of rehab. And he said, he just like jokes so, so loudly about the fact that like Lamar, o like, like they signed Lamar Odom who was on crack cocaine or some shit like that. Like that's when he just kills it. Where it's just like, when he, he also brings up stuff about people's like, like I, I do, I don't do this too much in, in Counter-Strike, but it actually would be really funny. It would be like, do talk about the people's relationships because like that's where Stephen A. Smith can be really funny where he's like when Zion Williamson started dating a prostitute yes. or like a, a sex work like someone not only fans or something like that then he'll like go into that and stuff like that it's a little bit like it's like a it's a, it's a line that you really have to like like really navigate pretty closely or carefully because if you if you do say something you literally I mean, especially with a contract like his, you have to be so careful about like, when are you crossing the line? But he's found a way to navigate it really well to, to keep things fun and fresh.
Because basically, the main reason I bring this topic up is I think there are so many absurd glaring holes in how they analyse players and teams, especially in the NBA. Like, I could do other sports as well, but we'll just do NBA because we're talking about it on this podcast. Like, if you think of my talk shows, how I like to set up, like, nuanced discussion and try and find as many angles as we can, they do the opposite, dude. They just make it super reductive. And it's like there's one or two factors, and that just decides the whole thing. Like, I'll give you an example that drives me crazy. is when people compare, like, LeBron, and Kobe, for example, they act like it's not only a 1v1 game, which comparing two players, but like they're all playing the same opponents. Like they played yeah. in totally different conferences their whole careers. Like, how's that not a factor? Like one thing I've always thought is one of the weakest arguments ever. I actually laugh in the face of people who do it. You know, when they do that thing of like, the reason why Shaq carried Kobe is because of the finals. Bro, the finals were against the Eastern Conference opponent. Like the joke is at that point, the bit the championships won. It's already over. Yeah, yeah. Like, and yeah. then you go and look at this. Here's an example of where people make arguments and because they never consider their own argument, they don't know how weak their argument is. So you know when people talk about how Shaq dominated all those finals, could you name the players he played against in those finals at his position? It's like broken down Rick Smiths. It's like Keith Van Horn of the net. You know what I mean? Like, the best ones to came in Matumbo, that's it, from the Sixters. That's it. Like, aside from that, you're playing against, like, nobodies or, like, end-of-their-career good players. Like, why wouldn't you, in that scenario, by the way, feed that guy the ball all day long and let him just go to work? And then secondly, this is... I know a fan will never get this, but to me, in esports, we've nailed this finally, the analysts. We don't treat the finals like it's religious. Like, being in the finals, it isn't like, right, this is this is a movie, and this is the stage where if you're truly great, you will perform. No, sometimes in the finals, it's just a, a whatever matchup, and you, it just gets phoned in by both teams, and one team wins, and the other one loses. Like, sometimes finals are shit. Like, I think, if you play in the stronger conference, like the Western Conference, sometimes the Western Conference final is yep. the real final. <clears throat> Same as we do in esports, you know, we always say, like, the semi's the real final. Like, sometimes it just is. Like, that's the real battle. That's where everyone's going 100%, and everyone in that match knows if we win, we're not 100% there, but we basically won the championship. So, like, that was the real one. So, have you noticed, Maui, that never even gets brought up in any of these convos? You'll never, ever hear what I just said ever referenced, like what conference they played in, how it went in the finals, who was the person guarding them. They make it sound like in a vacuum, for real, you could just take any of these players, drop them to any other team, and they would produce identically. And I actually do think, this is why I battled so hard in Counter-Strike for this. I really believe that the people in Counter-Strike who do the stats watching think that way about the game, Maui. Like, I actually think ye old Serbian bloke from HLTV thinks if you took 2016 Fallen, and put him on mouse spots that he would just have the same frags. They would have the same exact numbers as Fallen did playing with, you know, Cold Zero for Tag. By now, by the way, in hindsight, how much better does my argument even look now about Nico? Like, bro, look at the teammates. One of us has Dennis and Spiddy. The other one has fucking Cold Zero and Fur. And you're just going, yes, but when... Nico was in a major. Why did he not carry? Like, what are you talking about, bruh? Yeah, yeah, what, yeah. If anything, the real miracle is this question. How did Nico even get in this convo? He got in the convo because he's so preternaturally good. He could force his way to be compared with a guy who did have, like, the best team in the world. Like, unbelievable players next to him. So I just find it crazy that, like, in sports, like... People think this is, like, I'm talking about me. It doesn't have to be me who comes in the NBA to do this. Like, I think if you sent over, for real, any of the really good esports, dude, they would tear the NBA up. They, they would shred these motherfuckers. 
Like, mate, I know he's not in CSGO, so people don't know this. Mate, Monty's a mega analyst in League of Legends. He has, like, a really nuanced understanding of, like, team concepts. Like, again, when someone's, like, a really good player without having to be the best player, like, meta matchups, who counters who. Like, he would, he would, he would actually, for real, shred all these people. I don't care that some of these people on TV are, like, ex-pros. Because I'll tell you another thing I've learned from watching sports analysis. It's just the same as in our gig. You know, in our gig, a guy retires as a player, by the way, because we just say player like they're all identical, like IGL's the same as an entry fragger. Someone retires as like some boned entry fragger. And then the idiot fans go, I hope he's on the desk. He knows a lot about the game. And it's like, mate, you better hope he isn't on the desk because he's not going to make it. Like he's going to drown in this pool. Yeah. Like in the same way, I think on TV, when they bring in the ex-pro, mate, some of those guys fall so flat, it's crazy. Like the real reason I have respect for Shannon Sharp is I can see when he started, he started a zero. It's like a totally new career for him. He had to build up like how you do the analysis, how you like take a premise from someone and then actually argue against it. How you actually, you can even tell, I do hate this, but I know they do it on TV. I've heard on TV, they also do that shit behind the scenes. Like, right, well, one of us has got to take this position. Like, oh, I think that's cancer, mate. I think that yeah, is cancer. Yeah. Where like one person has to, you know, big up this angle or present the topic and he doesn't believe it. So I don't think people know how much of the TV stuff really is just fucking cupcake. It's just, it's just all fucking window dressing. There's nothing there. Well, that's why that's why I actually usually find like taking a making the conversation something that can split the 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 panel more interesting than actually act like just saying something stupid where it's like, do, well, why do you think the underdog is going to win? And it's just like then someone has to like fake five points where it's like th these really aren't actually valid points. Like, let's just make the discussion something different. Like, can someone on the worst team be the best player in this game? You know, something like that. Like, that's to me more there's more because it's actually a genuine conversation as opposed to like, I don't believe these keys to victory for the losing team. Like, they're just that's just not like. <clears throat> And you never really like write people out completely, right? Write them out completely. But like, I also just just make the. It's just like not imaginative enough. I would say it, like that. That's probably my biggest gripe with like a lot of sports analysis is that it's not. It doesn't like inspire whimsy. It doesn't actually drive the conversation always into some new topic or anything like that. It's more like, like sometimes there's like podcasts that are like, let's do a redraft of the whole year or something like that and it's like we know who the best 15 people are like i don't think that's like i don't always think that's like a cool one i i like i like more interesting discussions that are like i like i it, like there, there's there's other examples of this and i'm not going to come with come up with one right off the top of my head but it's why for example a lot of my analysis is just taking a very specific angle and dividing people because i i to, I kind of ta started talking about somebody, something nobody else did, like Zywu's cultural impact, for example. The joke as well, by the way, is in the modern day, there are just so many stupid people that the signal noise of morons drowns out half the interesting discussion. Like, you'll have seen this, Maui. It's gone to the point now where people who hate you say that you're a Zewu hater because you blame, like, the air quality. Like, that was an obvious fucking joke. Like, if you can't <laughs> see that's a joke, then the joke is life and the joke is on you.
Yeah, because yeah. if you can't see that that was so obviously tongue in cheek, and that the only re in fact, what would even be the gag of keeping it going if it wasn't a joke? Like if it wasn't a joke, you wouldn't reference it in like the light hard way you do. Like check it out, guys. I'm just saying warning. You know, like you, <laughs> if it was real, then you'd just be like, he's going to do badly. Look, it's shit. Like they don't even seem to get like the premise that this is entertainment. Like that. The reason that one was fire is because obviously everyone knows that's facetious. No one really thinks it's the air quality making him win or lose the game. Is it? Come on. It's not even an outdoor sport for fuck's sake. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it'd be one thing if he played like in an outdoor stadium. Like, that's just obviously a meme. It just so happens that like it does quite scarily match up. But then again, I'll add this in. It also adds in because it's not just because of the air quality in Kadavitsa. It's because Kadavitsa is a prestige event. There you go. I got it in there. In the end. It's all, it's all basically take prestige status away from Kadavitsa. You'd probably be awesome. Probably doing great. Yeah. Anyway, so, no problem. The funny, uh, what was the funny thing about that is also with with that kind of analysis, people are so fixated on Zaiwu's air. The air quality. It's like, by the way, guys, the air quality affects everybody. Of course, everybody breathes yeah. the same air. Like, like I don't know why we think that he's in a he's in a vacuum sealed chamber where he's getting different air than everybody else. At all, it's mental in it. What about um, another thing in sports analysis? I find really whack is, dude, it's, I understand why people care about rings, but it can't overwhelm everything, mate. It can't. Especially because, as I always point out, the number one problem you are going to immediately run into every time you overrate rings is everyone who wasn't the 1A option on the team. It's going to be really hard for you. How are you going to rank them? Because what happens instead is this. People who are the second or third who win a lot of rings just fly up these top X lists, mate. They just fly up them. And what I don't get is this. They're passing by people who are better than them, but the but the 1A option. That doesn't yeah. make any sense to me. You know what I mean? Like, Because as I always say, in that scenario, we're not competing in the same field at this point in time. Like, in that scenario, like, I could, by that logic, by the way, I can actually say this, which is, if you're going to tell me that, like, I mean, I'll, I'll use Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray just won a ring. If you're going to use that to tell me that Jamal Murray's better than Jason Tatum, well, then problem solved. I'll take that deal tomorrow. So Jason Tatum gets to join the Nuggets now, and Jamal Murray goes over and takes Jason Tatum's spot. Right, let's just see how this plays out. What are we talking about at this point in time? Like, it's an interesting discussion if you want to take the rings out and look at their games. That would be cool. But if we're doing that, like, that can't really make you greater. It can't yeah, for me, yeah. you know. The, well, I think where the ring discussion is valuable is that it helps give credit to players that are the third, fourth, fifth best option, but they're very strong in their role. Like they okay. were very good at understanding what they needed to do in order to find success because they knew that they weren't going to be the Michael Jordan of their team. And I think that, for example, someone like Rodman, it solidifies his greatness in his in his position because sure. I would, I think you'd be pretty hard pressed to say like Rodman, actually, you wouldn't say ever say Rodman's a top 50 player in the league's history, but you can actually give him a very strong case that like of defensive juggernauts that are rebounding machine like he he cre he created this position for himself and he he thrived in it so that he was able to find that success and because also we don't have like a, a because the all nba first second third team is basically let's just try to find all the best number one options in in these positions up to 15 players in the league and there's only well, there are 10 spots on the all-defensive team. So at least the NBA has done a decent job of trying to give credit to some people. But for example, in, in CSGO, you can't really, like, 
the fourth best anchor or the or yeah the fourth best anchor is probably gonna be like 20th on the hltv top 20 like they they, they fall pretty far down because it's mostly like oppers and connector player positions that end up finding themselves at the top of these kinds of lists but like it's we i would say that it would be been nice if awards were a little bit more specific to positions and roles the only problem is that that kind of takes away some of the timelessness of the discussion because because of the meta that changes way, in every game. What you could do yeah. essentially, like we're saying is, you should almost go for every role. You shouldn't do overall best player. Because again, it's kind of silly to compare like a power forward to a shooting guard. You know what I mean? Yeah. And well, the joke is, unless they're Kevin Durant, because like, it's like the Spider-Man 2 fucking pointing at each other meme. Isn't it? You're just the same cunt, aren't you? Like, but okay. <laughs> Aside from that, where they abuse the roles, like they are in theory different roles. But I also do think there's a difference between being the carry and being the supportive player. Like, So essentially, if we took it like the Oscars and it was like for small forward, there's like supportive small forward yes, of the year. Yes. That would be cool. I'm with you on that one. Because essentially yeah. the player in Counter-Strike, the analogy for is like Zipniks or Perfecto in the modern day. Right? If you're actually doing raw players, so ignoring the teams they're on Maui, none of the, I don't care, even from, even in their prime, Zipniks and, and the fucking Perfecto yeah. can never be close to like, even like, even like Zantares is a better player. Do you know what I mean? He Like, yeah, yeah, I can yeah. drop Zantares and build a team around it. You can't build a team around these guys. So like, that's why I always give that example, like I did on the GOAT episode, of I do have a harsh distinction between can you like, create your own shot and you're the guy that makes the offense run or are you a guy who benefits from like a great team and an offense? I think that is a key distinction for me. Like, I think Perfecto is insane if I've already got my main stars set up. Might be the most OP player at his role. But the, like I said about the example with Zantaras, if we're making a team tomorrow with random players, I'll have Zantaras and we'll start with that. You can have Perfecto, but like, good luck figuring <laughs> yeah. out your Warper and your right. Like, I've got my fucking stud rifle sorted. I've got him yeah, locked, yeah. mate. I know, what, I know what I'm getting from that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that, that's and that's kind of like where so many unfortunately, unfortunately, though, back to the ring thing is like so many like pleb arguments and discussions always just like five rings versus four or something like that. It's like they played completely different positions, like they had different roles entirely on their team. If you put one on the other team, like it's it's not even the guy with five rings that would be doing the best. It's the guy with zero rings but was on the second best team in the league, like Barkley. You know, like it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Like. The, in that kind of discussion for overall greatness, which I think you and I define more as overall greatness being like, are you the best player and are you willing your team to become the best team because you're so good in that role, which nobody else could accomplish. But with these role players, what's what's interesting about them is that like they are a little bit more interchangeable because you're developing a skill set that in some ways has a very high ceiling, like like defense has an incredibly high ceiling in, in the NBA, but it's ceiling is counteracted by the fact that the game actually lends itself to scoring. Like you, you actually should be score. Like if if the NBA weren't a defensive mind, if it were a defensive minded game, games would be ending four to two. Oh, like, for sure. Score scoring would be hard. It was not. It's not like soccer or football. Put it this way: if people European. don't know, <clears throat> even though they have obviously destroyed the defensive rules in the NFL. In the NFL, you do really have seasons where there are like, I mean, famously, like when he was a quarterback, uh, Darrell Revis did this one season. I know there's a bunch of like guard players have done this where you can have whole seasons where someone's stats are almost perfect, Maui. Like they, in, when they cover someone, they never give up anything. Like they're not yeah. giving up a touchdown, fucking two yards. Not Like that doesn't exist in basketball. Like take the best absolute perimeter basketball defensive player now and... His job is just limit the other guy. He can't shut them down. If Even when they say you shut them down, that means they also played like shit. They played like yeah. shit and you got a bunch of points or something like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And also, like, that's why... 
like you you even using the word or the phrase shut them down it's like people will be like well he still scored 20 it's like yeah but that's like actually pretty bad compared to his 27 point yes. average you know things like that so yeah let me see i thought i had another angle on that let me think where i was going on that um I don't know, actually. Did I have one more topic on that? Oh, actually, yes, I do have one more, which is yeah. <clears throat> the other thing I really hate about the modern sports analysis is bearing in mind that they don't present it as like, you know, this is just some shit to have wee coffee. Don't worry about it. It's just trash talk. Like if they did it like hot take point made, Maui, the way we do that, I think the way we set that show up is incredibly fair for the players themselves. That we're sort of telling them, look, this is obviously all hypercharged. It's like we're pressing NOS in fucking Fast and the Furious. They're not yeah. all the most thought out takes and we're not standing by them forever. We're just saying it now because it's a really good angle. They do that, but then they also sort of try to pretend they're historically analyzing the game. Because I have, an, I have a, a concept that comes from journalism that I actually think is the ultimate sign of whether someone is a hack journalist or a legit journalist. And it goes like this. If you're a hack journalist, you know there's context, but you know the context goes against the point you're trying to establish. So you intentionally omit the context, yeah. knowing that the guy who's the random pleb reading it doesn't know that and that they'll take totally the wrong conclusion and maybe overvalue your point. Whereas instead, if you add context to it, sometimes even that might go counter to your point, but to be like, to me, help the viewer be more well-rounded, that's the sign of a legit journalist. Like what you're saying there is, look, it doesn't agree with my point, but I'm, I will point out, you know, this happened. Because I'll tell you one that drives me crazy, mate. You know, all these nephews who were having these discussions all day long about LeBron versus Michael Jordan versus Kobe. You know that, you know, those people who just spend all day having that convo and just like the joke is 90% of their life is just on basketball reference, looking at the stats and all the numbers because they didn't watch half the players play. When they do that, bro, they tell me that Kobe sucks because of X, Y, and Z reasons in the finals. They never, ever mention that in two of those finals, he has a broken shooting finger. That's not relevant to them, bro. When they're talking all-time great players, they don't think it's relevant that you won the championship with a broken shooting finger and had to change your whole technique. Like, that would be the first thing you'd mention. You'd go, actually, this isn't even basically really his actual prime form because it'd be on a season where you're not injured. And then secondly... It's pretty insane to win the championship with a broken finger. They just act like you can just look at the numbers on paper. And they, there's another thing they do. They act like all players just go without injury their whole career. And they're like a bum if they're injured or something. Like, I don't get it, mate. I don't get it. Yeah. Speaking of the journalist thing with like uh, omitting everything like that, that was something that while studying philosophy in university that it was like, you would come into a lot of, or at least I did, I came into a few papers with a certain thesis, but then by the end of actually doing all the research, I actually just changed my thesis entirely. Yes. It just like uh, sometimes completely flip-flopping on an angle because there was a piece of like logical thinking that was outlined in some paper I read where I was like, oh, actually that just defeats my whole argument right there. So it's like, I've always get this yeah. example, but it's a good one because now obviously it's actually sort of born fruit. I always say this. I am the first person to ever make the case Carrigan was the goat IGL in Counter-Strike. But I always say this. I didn't do it actually thinking it. I just thought... There's not a, why is there not a second, con, why is there not another contender for this title? There's got to be someone else in there who'd have like the resume or like an angle. And I thought, so like devil's advocate, what angle could you come up with for anyone else? And I realized, well, because Glaive has the four and then most anyone else has his three out you got to, it's obviously going to be a non-ring angle. So like, right, it's a non-ring angle. So it'd have to be someone who did something he didn't do. And then I just constructed it. But it's like you're saying, over the years, that argument, the more I've added to it, the joke is I've convinced myself of it now. Like I've actually sort of like, the better the argument got, it's like actually, 
that is what I think is right, actually. But to do that, you have to have, like you're saying, you have to actually have, like, pure intellectual honesty. You have to basically be willing to, like, argue against yourself or say what is... Because that's the... If people don't know, there's a term for this called uh, steel manning. Instead of straw manning someone's argument, you steel man it. You actually say... Here's a point for your side. Here's a point actually for your argument. You can make it better by adding this. Like, because in my opinion, that's another sign if you're a hack or not. If you're actually legit, you can steal man the other guy's argument and still beat it. Because the the idea is you actually believe what you're saying based on real principles that you can outline. If you're trying to just do a thing where it's sort of like I need to make only these points and hope you don't make these points. And if I do, I might look that just sounds like sophistry, mate. It just sounds like you're just playing some political game where you're trying to like win over the least informed member of the crowd. Whereas my take's always been like, I'm trying to get to the other heads out there. I want the other guy who's like a super basketball or counter strike head who rewatches the game to be like, yeah, oh, that is an interesting. But I've never thought of that angle on this guy, but it is there's something to that, you know. 